sun is going to dawn bright and sharply, and you're going to march into a beautiful, more spectacular, more fantastic tomorrow. When you come to the right corner, we'll cure you of that. a fantastically rotten time. Just like the gal was such a fantastic gal. And never let the poor son of a gun get out of the house once. But, uh, bring it up there, Donald. All together there. Da, 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 da. Big profits in frogs. Breeder lays 10,000 eggs a year. Bullfrogs sell for a dollar to three dollars a dozen. No experience necessary. Backyard bullfrog pond starts you. Raised in any climate, get our free book, A Fortune in Frogs. Yes, this and other fantastic new vistas. Come on, watch me, Don. This and other fantastic vistas in life will open up before you in the next 45 minutes. Vacancy. The Boston Symphony Orchestra will have a tuba vacancy beginning September 1966. I wonder. I just wonder. Do you think I've lost my lip? I don't think so either. <laughs> us for life itself.
Think of the doors we have not even dared to pause before. Yes, I, I just, just, I want, I want you to give me just ten seconds of your incredibly valuable time, old twentieth-century citizen, marching forward up these great marble steps of time. Just give me ten seconds of your time, and think here for one brief instant, one brief ten-second instant of life as it could be. How would you, just for a moment? Consider the swinging, the, 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 the pendulum effect of a man going all the way out and coming back down in the middle and going all the way on up again. Now, most of us are afraid to let it happen. Most of us think, you know, oh, what would the neighbors say? If I walked out on my porch right now, just walked out, what a beautiful night this is, July 1st. Walked out on my porch, looked up and down that dark street, Looked over across there where they've been cutting the lawn. You could smell the grass, you know. You could see just the edge of a cloud scuttling over there, over just the just the touch of a new moon. And then you pull in a deep breath. You pull your gut in and you go, <laughs> Just let it hang there. You ain't got no guts. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't dare do it. You just wouldn't dare do it. You'd prefer to have Shep do it for you, wouldn't you, gang? Yes, sirree. You'd prefer to have your chances taken for you by those who are on the actual firing line. Do you realize that nightly I appear on this, this shimmering, ephemeral stage of sound? I nightly appear on this, this shaky, this shaky balsa wood stage of existence and play veritably clown for us all. And I'm glad to do it. Now, WOR, recognizing its public service uh, debt, if we can call it that, has made available to you this true public service. Since it is very difficult for any of you to go out on your porch and yell that without fear of retribution, if only social ostracization, is that what it is? Being cut out of the hoid? <laughs> well, WOR is now making available to you this free invective. We haven't hurled an invective in a long time, have we, gang? Ah, well, you're surrounded by Johnny Carson fans out there in the darkness. You're surrounded by a crowd out there who can hardly wait to see that Bonnie and Clay show up with their double mint gum commercial. Yes, sir, you'd be surprised. They're out there in the darkness on all sides of you, and they think they've got the world by the... <laughs> You know what? Well, have they? Have any of us? Tis indeed a good question. You know, have you ever have you ever considered the idea of a giant world leader? Can you imagine? It's one o'clock in the morning, and Charles de Gaulle is lying in his sack. He's lying there, see, and one eye is sort of half closed, and the other guy, the other eye is kind of half open. And outside in the darkness, outside the royal palace or wherever it is he sleeps, you can hear the sound of Renault horns. Silence again, darkness. And then the sound of a motor scooter. If there's anything that is more the sound of Europe at two or three o'clock in the morning, it's lying in your in your dark pad, lying in the sack there with the with the feather bed up around your ears, and hearing the sound of a motor scooter going by. Whoa. 
wow. And you lie there, the darkness and the silence again. And then your mind begins to move like a like a wakened snake coming up out of the swamp of reality. Its great jaws gaping, its razor thin and sliced steel fangs. Arr, that mind, the little beady eyes. Can you imagine Charles de Gaulle lying on his back in his sack at 1.30 in the morning in the royal palace, looking at the dark ceiling, and suddenly, who are these guys in here? And suddenly, his mind says to itself, as it always will, what the devil is it all about? What is it all about? You never think of guys this way. You never think of it working like that. Can you imagine, can you imagine LBJ? It's four o'clock in the morning and he's lying in his sack. And he hears a 707 go over. It is on its way to God knows where. He's lying there. He looks up. And then out of the darkness of the Stygian soul of night, of his own mind, that Texas drawl that says, I'll be concerned if I know what it's all about. Another jet goes by. Ah, just like all the rest of us. What is it all about? And so WOR is making available to you in just a few moments. Stay tuned to be ready for it. It's making ready and available to you. Your own private invective. Get your radio out on that windowsill. And at my command, turn up the game. I will give you a brief bit of silence. And then I will holler a whoopee for all of us that will echo throughout your neighborhood. And you can always pretend, of course, that you're listening to Murray Decay or something. Something important, see? And immediately we'll play music and you can say, well, I'm just listening to the radio. It's only the radio doing this. shake. And before we throw you this invective, do you have that money button handy there? Now wait, hold Before you hit it down, just hold it there for a second. This brings up one other point. This, this, uh, this conjecture about the people who feel that the world should be totally under their control. Last night we touched briefly on the idea and I, and I think it's true. This is just a private shepherd theory and it's been said many times by other people too, I'm sure. But there really are two kinds of people. This is one of those broad generalities that little ladies who hate broad generalities are going to write me about. But uh, here it is, like it or no, that there are two kinds of people, really, in the ultimate sense of divisions. And naturally, there are grays in between, and the two types mold and merge one into the other, and it's not so easy to pinpoint which you are. But the two types of people are, on the one hand, there are the people who feel that life is uh, basically and should be basically a, a, a process that is perfectly well ordered and that you should have a plan 
and that you should drive towards that plan. Once you have succeeded in achieving that plan, that life then has meaning, it has substance, and it has reverberations of immortality. The planning people, the note-takers, the people who fill little notebooks with all kinds of things. Call Charlie at 8.30 in the morning, call Cleaner at 9.22, uh, make money from 9.22 to 11.30, uh, become successful 11.30 to 11.48, uh, go to lunch, uh, 227 calories. Return at 2.10, ask for phone calls that have come in in the meantime, uh, make more money, uh, talk to Fred. You know, these people who, and, and they're constantly confused because Fred isn't at the phone when they call. Or they walk in and they ask, uh, where's my phone calls? And the chick has not even been at the switchboard. In other words, the planning people are always in trouble because of the random event which is part of life. Now, then there's the other kind of people who firmly believe that it is all random. <laughs> That's all. Have you noticed that this crowd is growing more and more in our world? The random crowd. That's why you'll find that most movies have no plot at all. You can write a movie today if you can think of enough shticks. You know, like shticks. If you say, wouldn't it be funny, Manny, if we had this guy hit another guy with a pie? Okay, write that guy. A guy hits another guy with a pie. Uh, listen, how about this bit? Wouldn't it be great if this chick runs along the street and she sees a horse and she says, I, I like riding horses. She jumps up and the horse makes a jump and she's on it backwards and they ride down the street and she gets her head caught on the marquee that says, whoopee, 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 now showing here. Well, that's a wonderful shtick. Okay, we got Peter Sellers to do that. Now, <laughs> that is what's called writing a movie. These people, now again, and I'm not saying I'm on one side or the Both sides are ridiculous the way I point them out, don't they? That uh, that there is the there is the random guy, and there's the non-random. Incidentally, uh, before we go any further, uh, speaking of random happenings, and uh, no, no, we have a vast master plan here. This is W O R. I said master plan. I had, uh, did not say that. Now come on, uh, take the potatoes out of your ears. Don't put obscenities in my mouth that come through into your ridiculous ears. I said we have a master plan here at W O R. Vast, encompassing, fantastic. No random here, boy. We know where we're going. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, by the way, one one thing about the people who who believe in plans. These are the people that are hung on weather reports. These are the people who must see the weather report every night. Have you ever been able to make head or tails of these guys that show up on television? And now here he is, Doctor Frank McFrank. Famous meteorologist and weatherman who reports every night, brought to you by the Consolidated Edison Corporation and other important people, brings you the weather. Mm, good evening. A great high, not tonight, or he told you about the big high with the multiple diplex isobar semi-reciprocal pole that was coming down from North Carolina and moving up in the easterly, southwesterly direction in such a fashion. Now, there was a high that developed over South Dakota and moved in a semi-circular direction, and that is, of course, causing a bubble high to occur over the Caribbean region. Now, they, in the past, blah, blah, in hock, a great, and a conch, isobar, isobar, so in hock, jabberwocky, wacko, woof, woof. And now, one moment... We will be back in 60 seconds with more of the weather after this word from the Whoopi Beer Company. Yes, sir, that's my baby, Whoopi, Whoopi. Yes, sir, baby, wah, wah, yeah, that's my baby now. And now back to Dr. Frank Frank and more radar detected weather information. Well, I'll thank you. 
Now, the ISO bar, cold, hot, in Hocker, regular conch, in Espitalock, 75 to 96 degrees in Winston-Salem, North Dakota. Now, as we move further over, with the ISO bars coming in from the English Channel Current, the Japanese Current, tomorrow morning we'll have more weather information for you. Good night. And you sit there, holy, crying out loud, who is watching this glop, this total glop? Speaking of glop, do you have a little thing in there for us, Donald? Hit it, Dad. Speaking of flop, the sparkle of friendship, the glow of wonderful, friendly, consistent hospitality. Yes, and friendship. These are the qualities you pour with every glass of sparkling, flavorful, incredibly distinctive Miller High Life, the Champagne of Bottle Beer. This beer, with its wonderful old world flavor, has a heritage all of its own. Brewed for thousands of years in a European castle. During 1965, Miller High Life celebrates its 110th anniversary in America. Brewed under perfect conditions only in Milwaukee. You say, enjoy life when you pour Miller High Life. Here is the finest. Your life can be a flower in the vast desert of existence. Gee, that's an interesting bit of poetic justice there. I like that. Your life can be... Let me see that copy. Your life can be a flower in the vast desert of existence when you drink Miller High Life. Holy smokes. Now that is exciting. <laughs> yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. And for those of you who are not in New York on this night... I can only say that I have no envy for you. On a night like tonight, when the temperature is just right and the moon is hanging over the Empire State Building and the sky is like velvet and there ain't no cabs on the street and the traffic is down to a mere dribble, man, it's this is the way this city should be. Do you feel that, Don? It's beautiful to be here. And about, uh, oh, about a half an hour ago or an hour or so ago, I'm whipping along right through Times Square on my little motorcycle. And all those marquees are flickering and fluttering. And all those, gee, there's some great movies showing there now. Uh, there's one movie I've just got to see, and that's that one. Dirty Girls. Dirty Girls. It's just Dirty Girls. Now, at last, you can see it in New York. Gee whiz, I'm glad they finally let that one come into town. Those prudy, rotten people have been holding it away, you know. And, and by the way, you can also see the uncut version. And, you know, they've cut out a lot of the stuff, uh, the good stuff, of course, they cut out. Now you can see the uncut version of the orgy at Lil's place. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, when they all run out in the refrigerator and open it up and Pepsi-Cola comes out. Oh, wow. But uh, I'm riding through this darkness and I say, gee whiz, New York, wow. Oh, boy. And, and uh, about this time, if you don't mind, if I, do you mind a little reminiscing? Any of you like any, uh, this time when I'm a kid, one time? It's just about this time. In fact, it was three days before the 4th of July, which is exactly the situation now. I am working in a fireworks stand. Now, uh, <laughs> many people uh, don't know, really, the, the world of the fireworks seller. Uh, most people know fireworks only from the... That's the only side that most people know about 
fireworks. Well, there is another side. <laughs> there is another side to fireworks. <laughs> and that's the side of, of, of the guy who stands on the other side of the counter and he watches the people come in to buy the stuff. And boy, I'll tell you. You know, uh, one thing that my old man, my old man used to say, for the benefit of any of you who are budding psychology students, maybe this might be of some help to you. One thing my old man used to say, he's saying, now look. He says, now look, Gene. See, I was working when he would be off taking, taking his lunch or something. He put me behind a counter. He said, now look, Gene. He said, now listen. When you see a little skinny guy with thick glasses get out of a great big car and walk toward the stand, get ready for a killing. Get ready for a big killing. He says, this little guy's got to prove it. And sure enough, little skinny guys with thick glasses, Don, used to come ambling out of their cars and they'd come in and they, the first thing they would look at would be these three and a half foot aerial bombs. You know, the kind that rocked the neighborhood. The kind that go off with, with the sound of distant thunder. Some distant thunder that is heard over the horizon where China breaks across the bay like a beautiful many-colored flower. <laughs> and so these guys would come out. and they'd, They never wanted to quite ask it. They'd say, uh, what, uh, what does that one do over there? Oh, would that, that one over there, please? That, that one there. And of course, I'd play it cool. I'd say, you mean this one? And I'd take the little Chinese, you know, those little Chinese lady fingers. I'd say, you mean these here? These Chinese lady fingers? Here, I'll show you what these do. And I'd pop one of them. I'd say, like that. He'd say, no, the, the one over there. Well, then I'd say, oh, you mean the sparklers over here, the sparklers. And he'd say, no, over to the left of the sparklers there. Oh, this one. Oh, this is our devastation number two model. This one. This one, of course, we only allow to be used by the hand of a true adult and that invariably they'd buy it and of course the big guys would come in you see so it's funny how, how big guys would come in and buy sparklers great big hulking brutes would come in and they'd buy little torpedoes you know the kind of they'd go off like that <laughs> and it was the little guy who bought the seven and a half foot roman candle now about this time of the year when I was about, oh, 10, 8, 9, 10, up through about the 11th or 12th year, something like that, I was packing away the dough to buy my own fireworks. Packing away the dough, I'd been packing for weeks to buy this stuff. And uh, to me, uh, of course, uh, again, uh, the 4th of July, as it does to most of us now, just means that they got double headers in both leagues now. Or everybody goes to the beach, you know, that kind of scene. Or, or everybody's got a day off and all the chicks are yelling and hollering because the day off falls on Monday and they wish it would come on Saturday and so on. Or whatever it might be. But one of the most incredible to me, maybe I better save this, uh, this story for the limelight. But I would like to tell you a story about the 4th of July in the Army. Uh, which is a very different scene than 4th of July because, you know, you're where, uh, you're where it all happens. You realize, of course, that, that fireworks are a kind of, well, a kind of artificial uh, gunfire. It's an artificial bombardment, an artificial artillery barrage. Uh, and, and you could even buy at one point, you could buy various types of fireworks that uh, even bore those names. They had things like... Uh, 
uh, aerial bombs. And uh, they had things like star shells. You know, you could buy star shells. You ever seen the star shells used in the fireworks, big fireworks displays out at the park? A star shell is a thing that goes off, and then when it gets up to the top of its, the apex of its flight, it goes, and thousands of flares, like a giant mushroom, drift out. Now, that's a, that's a form of the star shell. Have you ever seen a star shell actually fired? I mean, a real star shell in action. Uh, the thing that fireworks are based on. I'm talking about an army or or a navy star shell. They're 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 unbelievable. Uh, have you ever seen a, a plane drop what they call leader lights? Uh, the plane comes drifting in over the target. The first plane comes in over over a bombardment target and drops flares that come drifting down in parachutes and lights up the whole countryside. Like, like some ghost, some incredible ghost vision of a negative taken out of some, some peculiar film that was shot in hell. Oh boy, that's something to see. I'll tell you. And, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about 17 years old. And the first time I ever saw this, I'm 17, maybe just pushing 18. And I have just gotten in the army and we are going through what they call battle infiltration training. And, uh, I'm in the army about four or five weeks. And up to this time, of course, all gunfire had been totally hypothetical to me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it'd be the, it, it was the thing that Errol Flynn did. Uh, you remember Errol Flynn always swinging from the spars of those pirate ships with a, with a blunderbuss in his hand. Boom! You know, he's firing away at somebody. And down on the cabin is, uh, what's her name, that red-headed actress that he was always in films with, that Maureen O'Hara was always looking soulfully out of the porthole and he's swinging then then uh, gunfire was a thing that guys like uh oh guys like roy rogers took part in and guys like gary cooper took part in and it was a thing that we played with out in the backyard you know kids pretending like we're shooting at each other now, this is a thing that i think is almost basically uh uh i suppose now girls don't do this I don't, I, you hardly ever see girls running around with the, you know, guns and pretending like they're shooting each other. But this is a thing that, that kids do instinctively, and it's nothing to do with being warlike. You know, I'm always a little amused at, at these, these people who, are, uh, you know, have these big campaigns to give kids toys that aren't warlike. To give kids toys, like give a kid a stuffed camel instead of a, uh, a plastic 38, you know. <laughs> As if by giving him a toy, he won't think that way. As if by giving him a little wooden truck, he won't think in terms of Tommy guns. Forget it. He will make his own Tommy gun. He will run around with a clothespin going, Pow, you're dead, Mac. Pow. He's got the clothespin. Either that or he will run around with the stuffed camel holding it under his arm and going, I'm sorry. That's the way. The, that's the way of the species. And, and uh, we used to make our guns out of all kinds of stuff. How many of you ever made a uh, a rubber gun that is made out of cut rubber bands that you make out of 616? Yeah, the big 616 inner tubes. You stretch them. You blop the guy in the ear with it. You know. Do you know that today the kids they've carried this technology so far that you can buy things that kids put on them that when they're hit with a water pistol they bleed. You can buy wounds that don't that aren't activated, see, until one guy says, Here, take that, Charlie. He gets a shot with a water pistol on the shoulder. He falls down and the blood gushes out. And, of course, then there's a little medic kid, too. 
Uh, he has little uh, sulfa, and he's got the whole thing. Have you ever seen these in the dime stores? You get little sulfa kits and little kits to give blood plasma and all that. Little kids laying there, and they got the blood plasma and all. Well, that's about what we did, see. Well, here I am about 18 now, 17, 18, and I have just gone through the, the training with the rifle out on the rifle range, which is very different, you know. Remember, you're doing the firing. You're doing the firing at the target. You'd be surprised how the target feels. It's a very different scene to be on the other end of the range, you know. Pow! Ew! It goes past your ear, and you know they're shooting at you. Well, they took us out on this course. Now, I don't know whether any of you guys who've been in the Army recently have ever had anything like this happen. But this actually happened, it, and there was a lot of complaining about it later, by the way. There were people who wrote letters to Congress and everything. But it was, it was boy, was it ever educational. And this was in a, in a big thing called First Army Maneuvers, which was held in the Ozarks. And I'm assigned to the signal company. And the, the uh, general is up there, and he's talking to the whole crowd. Before we go any further, you want to hear the rest of the story? Boy, what an afternoon this was. And night, I, I'll never forget it, till a day, you know, wow. I mean, it's, it, every time I look, at, uh, I look at movies about guys in combat, and I look at movies about guys in training, I remember this day and this night. Because it was one of the great educational moments of my existence. Speaking of education, hit us with another one there, Don. Let's go. Oh, you haven't got any in there? All right, we've got plenty here. Happiness. Uh, let's see. It's a Chinese restaurant. They're up there between 93rd and 94th. And uh, for those of you that are coming into town over the weekend... And this is a great time to come into New York City over the weekend. I, I say stay away from Jones Beach. Come into town. <laughs> it's the only time I, I advise you to get into town. Because there's nobody here. You can park. And boy, it's great. And if you are coming in, I would like to suggest a really superb Chinese restaurant. If you're looking for a reasonable place and they serve family-style meals for two and a quarter, you get a ten-course meal and all you can eat. And it's, it's fabulous food. It's simply called Happiness. And they're up on Broadway between 93rd and 94th. They have a bar, and it's an exceedingly pleasant place. It's one of the prettiest Chinese restaurants I've ever been in. Very pleasant, nice people, and you can sit, and there's enough room there. And they don't have these ridiculous... You know that, that decor in most Chinese restaurants that consists of uh, fluorescent tubes, largely, with uh, plastic linoleum-type booths? Uh, well, this ain't like that. They have... Blue plastic linoleum boots. <laughs> this is uh, happiness between 93rd and 94th. The food is good. Okay. All right. Now, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, let's see. Peugeot. And uh, for those of you who uh, might be concerned right now with buying a new car, probably there's more than half a dozen of you out there who are having trouble. Uh, we'd like to recommend that you at least look into the Peugeot. It's a fine French car, and uh, as I've said so often on the show, the oldest running car in America is an 1898, I believe it's 95 Peugeot. And it's considered one of the seven best-built automobiles in the world, and it really is. The, the upkeep on this car is unbelievably low. It's a beautiful car, the finish is spectacular, and I think you'll find it's also reasonably priced. There's two models, the 403 and the 404, and I drove a 403 for over five years myself. Beautiful car. And you can see it at 2 East 46th Street here in Manhattan. That's the French Peugeot. Okay, gang? And the, we got one more here before we have to split with the commercial scene. 
and it's about uh, the paperbook gallery. Hey, look, uh, uh, the paperbook gallery is doing something about one of the major curses of our time, and that's the superfluous paperbook. Uh, you know, nobody has yet really figured out what the heck you do with a paper book after you've read it. You don't really want to throw uh, War and Peace out, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you're stuck with all these things. And the paper book gallery at 399 6th Avenue, now that's 6th Avenue at 8th Street, the paper book gallery, been on the show off and on for years. They have a big trade-in sale. And if you are, are inundated with used paperbacks, they will give you... 25% on your old paperbacks towards any new purchase. In other words, if you've got a 100,000 pounds of paperbacks that you don't know what to do with them and you'd like to trade them in on new ones, well, you give the paper book gallery a call, and you can call them right now. They'll come out with a truck and pick them up, and they'll give you credit towards 25% on anything you want to buy in the store. They have prints. They have a fantastic collection of paper books, and the phone is YU92226. That's Yukon 92226. Give him a call right now and holler, Help! Take him away! I'm up to my neck in Dostoyevsky! That's uh, YU92226. If you want to trade in all your culture for Ian Fleming, now's your chance. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, a lot of people, you know, years ago invested in stuff like Schopenhauer and Kierkegaard when they should have been investing in junk. And here's your chance. Junk is now very popular now. All the professors are writing about it. Uh, so, you know, oh, well, oh, you want to hear about the story? Well, let me tell you what happened. As long as this is, uh, this is, uh, confessional night. This is one of the very few times that I have really been scared right out of my skull. You know, some people are very sensitive people, Don, you know that? And they walk through life scared, and a loud noise two blocks away will cause them to break out into a cold sweat. Well, I have never, unfortunately, been that kind. I've always felt that if I was sensitive, if I was a nervous person, if I, if I jumped easily and, you know, got scared and sweated up quickly, I could have become a great novelist or something. <laughs> but, but I have never been that kind, you know? And, and, uh, and it's made people around me very irritated, and it's made me very irritated. Like, like sometimes, you know, like once I remember once uh, I'm in a car... And the uh, back tire blows, and we are heading for a ditch, and everybody's going, oh, no, no! What do you think Shepard's hollering? Whoa, wow, holy smokes, here we go, gang! Well, this does not make you turn into J.D. Salinger, who is so frightened of his own shadow, you know, that you wonder when the pickle vat's going to come home. Nevertheless, uh, this was one time I really got scared. I will never forget it. It's the afternoon... And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of warm and sticky. And we're all dressed in our co combat equipment, you know. They've, they've given us all of our new steel helmets. And we've got the camouflage rope all over the top, the little netting, you know. We've got the little sticks sticking out. And we've got our, the, the underside of our eyes all... You've seen this in the movies, all blacked up with the stuff. And I'm in this hard-hitting little signal company. Now, we were supposed to lay wire under... Total darkness conditions under heavy fire from one command post to the next. There must have been about 15 or 20 of us, you see. We've got our, we've got the lamp black under the eyes and the mud rubbed into our cheeks. And we've got our sidearms and the carbine is slung on the back. And we've got our canteen full of tepid water and chlorine. And we've got our little, our, our little first aid kits on our, you know, the whole thing. We're, we've, we've got 65 pounds of equipment. 
the captain is walking around in front of us. And he says, now, men, he says, now, I want to tell you this. Men, he says, there's nothing more important, as you all know, nothing more important, anything, in any, in any phase of life. Nothing is more important than communications. And there is nothing more important in a war, in an army, than communication between one command post and the next. You men are entrusted with connecting up Company D with Company C. And then there's another team which will connect Company D with Company A. And then there's another team that will connect them up with Divisional Headquarters. You've got to connect Company C with Company D. Now, Shepard, you're in charge. Now, you're, your job, you're in charge with the PL-33 wire. You're going to carry the wire roll. Gas up. You're in charge of the wire splashing equipment. You got it all there. Check it out before you leave the company area. And he goes right on down the line. See, we're all standing there with our loins girded. And we thought this was Funsville, see. This was uh, maneuver. You know, you hear about maneuvers. You read maneuvers in the paper. And you read about maneuvers and they seem like play. You know, everybody pretends, bang, you're dead. You know, I got the general. I just shot the general, Charlie. It don't work like that, gang. <laughs> If I may use Jersey poor English. And so we're all standing around out there in the bright sunlight. And the maneuvers were to start at exactly 5 o'clock that night. Upon the firing of a cannon that would be heard all around and echoing back and forth throughout the Ozark Hills. And that moment we would know that we would become a combat group. We were the blue combat team and they were the red combat team which meant they were the bad guys, we were the good guys, and they looked upon us as the bad guys, and they were the good guys. You know, depending on what side you're on. And so they're all up in the hills, all the rest of the guys, and we're down here in the valley and spread up in the other hills. And we knew they were over there. And now it's 5 o'clock. It's getting closer and closer. And then... A state of war exists between the blue forces and the red forces. And we began to move out silently through the undergrowth. The, the Ozark undergrowth. Oh, it's hot and we're all excited. And it's getting darker and darker. Now it is about 8 o'clock and we have reached what the company commander called the bivouac area. And we are strung out in what they call at that time a skirmish line. We arrived down to the bivouac area and we bed down, putting down our equipment. And then the lieutenant says, all right now. No cigarettes. Keep everything down. Be quiet. The enemy is everywhere. They're all around you. Okay? Now, we are going to move out. Take your compass out, squad leader. We are moving out in a southeasterly direction. We will proceed for one and a quarter miles. At that point, you will assume contact with the D Company headquarters. Then, well, he's given us our instructions. It goes on. I'm just one of the yucks in the in the crowd. I'm carrying the wire, you know, Don. I'm not listening to the instructions. And there's the corporal over there. And then we start spreading out. We move through the swamp. I'm carrying the wire. And it's getting darker and darker. And now it is pitch, stygian black, like the inside of your tennis shoe. And all I can hear ahead of me is gas. <laughs> Swearing and muttering. Once in a while, I'd hear the company, the, 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 the corporal would say, Squad, squad, contact the man ahead of you. Contact the man ahead of you. I'd say, gasser, 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 gasser. Well, this went on for hour after hour after hour. And it began to dawn on us that we were lost. That 
corporal had gotten loused up and we were heading somewhere off in the general direction of <laughs> who knows what. It was black. And we couldn't say anything yet. And on the other hand, we, we were feeling a nervousness. And then suddenly, out of the darkness, out of the darkness, we, we, the tension is building up. We're scared. We're lost. We are holding on to each other's belts. We're one after the other. When suddenly, out of the darkness, you hear this, ah! like that. And we fall down. What's that? It's not fun anymore, you know. And I hear gas up and we go, <laughs> and you see a little flickering flame off to the left. Somehow it's up above us. We can't figure out what the heck this is up above us. We wait for a second. Then something blows up off to the right. We are being shot with mortars. What? what? They got us spotted. And then high above us. We hear, and I hear the corporal, air raid, air raid, air raid, and then, something makes a strange whistling, screaming sound, and the entire area is lit up like the inside of Madison Square Garden at the end of the basketball finale. It is incredible. You can see trees all outlined and, and shadows and a little creek and a little shack half laying down. And here's about nine guys laying flat out and these things are drifting down, going, just hanging. And then the hills up to the left go, and the corporal stood up. He turned to all of us and he says, well, stand up. We're dead. We are dead. We're dead. And Gasser didn't move. Edwards is just laying there with his face dug in the dirt crying. He says, come on, get up. We're dead. Let's go. All right, come on. All together now. Fall in. We are dead. Left face forward. Harch. We marched off into the distance. Oh, man. And I'll be dead if I don't tell you about Castro, friends. For those of you who are looking for a place to sleep, a pad in which to rest your weary head at long last, we suggest you contact your Castro dealer. They have over 2,000. You can even get one Castro convertible that's cleverly designed to look like a foxhole. And so for those of you who are looking for something that really folds out and folds in and makes the scene big, if you've got a little pad, there are 37 Castro dealers in this area, including poor old benighted Philadelphia. They even include Jersey. This is Castro, C-A-S-T-R-O, as in Yankee no Kubasi. Castro, where the convertibles reign supreme and they are majestic. Oh, by the way, don't forget... There'll be a special 4th of July show down at the limelight, 10.05 until midnight. Be on hand with your sparklers. I'll be there with my knees loose and a handful of hand grenades. All set, King? Be the... You're dead, Shepard. And we stood up, and those parachutes drifted down towards us with those flares. And high up in the hills, the 50 caliber machine guns continued to wink. 
firing their blank tracers over our heads. And once in a while, the sound of a blank mortar shell. Off into the woods behind us. All right, you guys, you're dead. Let's go forward, Harch. I learned something that night. I don't know what it is, but I learned it. 